Thank you for listening today to our podcast here at Word of Life. We're delighted that you tuned in. And I pray that while you hear us talk, you hear the Holy Spirit speak. I know God's got a big plan for you. We're excited to be a part of that plan. Hopefully we will see you sometime soon, maybe even this weekend. Until then, we pray you have a wonderful, wonderful week. Hey church, how are you this morning? Much better. Awesome. Glad that you're here today. If you don't know me, my name is Brian. I am the youth pastor here at our Lakeland campus, and I am really excited to to share what God has put on my heart for you today. Before I get started, I always do two things. If you've ever heard me preach, you know that I do these two things before I get started. Uh, Number one, what I want to do is I just want to honor my wife, my my beautiful bride is right here. Uh, We just we just celebrated nine months of marriage. Come on, somebody. Yeah, I'm excited about that. You know what? We're newlyweds, so we just celebrate everything. We celebrate everything. I am so excited that she's with me today. I also just want to take a moment to honor our pastors. Uh, How many of you know, like, I I don't know about you, but I have been blessed by the lives of Pastor Joel and Miss Peppy. I really have, and maybe you have as well. So let's just honor them this morning. I want to jump in, kind of Maybe, maybe trailing off of what Pastor Joel talked about last week. If you were here with us last week, you know that Pastor Joel was talking about life groups, about the importance of the community of people that you are doing life with. He shared this, this one idea that I was like, man, that is so good. Uh, talking about the, the idea of their faith. Like sometimes in life, we have moments where we need our faith. We need God to show up in our faith and do something for us in a moment. But there are also moments in our lives where, where God will use the people around us, their faith, to help bring deliverance in our life. And I want to kind of just talk a little bit about life groups. Last week we talked about what life groups are. This week we're going to talk about what life groups are for. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter number one. And while you're turning there, would you just join me and pray this morning? God, thank you for today. We love you. We honor you. We are amazed by you. God, you are so good. You are good. And so, Father, today we just ask you to speak to us. Speak to each and every one of our hearts. Speak what you want to us because we truly believe one word from you can change everything. So Father, speak. We are listening and we pray it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. If you are, are there with me, Nehemiah chapter one, we are going to start reading in verse number one. Nehemiah chapter one, and we're going to start in verse number one. It says, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, listen, Nehemiah, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed 
before the God of heaven. Then I said, I just want to pause right there for a moment. This is not exactly what my whole message is about, but I think we would be remiss if we didn't take a pause to just understand where Nehemiah is in this moment. Nehemiah, his brother, has just come to him and said, hey, you know the the place where you're from? You know your hometown? Yeah, it's in captivity right now. That the walls are broken that there is no safety, that they have no protection. And when Nehemiah hears this, he, he begins to cry. He begins to weep. He begins to mourn. He begins to fast. He begins to pray. And it's so interesting to me that in Jerusalem, There were no boundaries. The walls were broken down, so there were no more boundaries. There was nothing to protect them. It makes me wonder. Maybe in our lives, it's the same way too. That where we don't have boundaries set up in our lives, then maybe we'll we'll be out of protection as well. Like maybe in areas in our lives where we don't put boundaries, we don't put walls, we don't set up things in our lives to help protect us, we will fall as well into captivity. Any area in my life, in any area in our lives where we don't allow boundaries and borders and walls to be established, we will eventually find ourselves in captivity. And Nehemiah, He sees this play out right in front of him. That is his hometown, the city of his ancestors, the holy city of God. It has no more boundaries. It has no more walls. It has no more protection. And Nehemiah hears this and it makes him sit down. Like, I don't know if you've had some news that was so bad it made you just like take a seat. Like, this is Nehemiah. He's hearing this news and he's not like, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. We'll get it fixed. Like, he's not encouraged when he hears this. A moment of faith doesn't just happen in his heart, but rather he takes a seat. He sits down and he cries. He he weeps. He, He mourns. I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that before where you got some news and your faith didn't just rise up and say, no worries, God is with us, God is for us, we got this, but rather you got some news that made you take a seat, (laughs) made you look at your family, made you begin to wonder, got your emotions really high, maybe got some tears in your eyes, your mind and imagination starts going in the wrong direction. Maybe you've had a place and a moment like that before where something has happened to you Something is happening in your family. Something is happening in your life. And you have this moment where your emotions start racing. Your mind starts imagining. Your heart seems like it's going to beat out of your chest. You have this place where you're frustrated, where you're scared, where you don't know what to do, where you're wondering how this is going to turn out. 
Maybe in this past year and a half, you've had a moment like that where you had to just take a seat. There was no responding in faith. But there was a moment of, God, what in the world is going on? That's Nehemiah. Like, sometimes when we read scriptures, I never want us to just walk past and read past scriptures like these aren't real people. But rather they are. And they relate to us in more ways than we even realize oftentimes. That this is Nehemiah. He's having this moment where faith didn't just rise up. His first response wasn't, we got this. His response was tears and mourning and weeping. And I imagine frustration and I imagine his mind started going. But I love verse number five. Like I love verse number five. It says, then. Oh, come on, somebody. I could just preach this, this one word. I could preach it. Because Nehemiah, he finds himself where he is frustrated, he is scared, he is mourning, he is crying, but, but then, oh come on somebody, there is a moment where Nehemiah, he sits down when he realizes the reality of what's going on in his life, but then. Oh, Nehemiah, he's looking at his future. He doesn't see a way out or a way forward. But then something just rises up in his heart that says, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Then Nehemiah has this then moment. And I wonder how many of us need a then moment. Like, I know you're going through a lot right now. Like, I know things may not look the way you want them to look. I know finances may be a little tough right now. Like, I know relationally you may be wondering what in the world is next. But, but then, God can just show up in a then. And in a then, when you decide. That's what I love about this. Like, this isn't my message. This is all for free. But, but I just love this. Like, Nehemiah. It doesn't say, then God said. Read it, verse number five. It says, then who? I. Then I said. And maybe that's the key here. Is that you say. Like you say. Now I know, I know you got a lot going on. I know you got stuff in your mind. I know you got stuff in your heart. I know you got situations that are going on. Like I know you got that. Like, I know maybe finances are tough. I know relationally it could be tough. I I get that. Like, I know there's some stuff going on. I know that there's family issues. Like, I get that. But at the same time, there is still a God who is in heaven. There is still a God who loves you. There is still a God who is, oh, come on, somebody. There is a God who is for you, who is waiting for you to say then. Like, I know that's there, but then. I know I had depression, but then. I know the situation was tough, but then. I know the family was struggling, but then. I know my finances were looking strange, but then. Then. Then I said. Then I said. I would encourage you, what are you saying? Like, what's coming out of your mouth when you see the situation? What's going on in your mouth when you're you're talking about the situation? 
Then I said, Nehemiah, in a place where we've all been before, the moment before the then, the place where we're struggling, the place where it's tough, the place where we don't know what's next, the place where what we see doesn't match up with who we serve. But then, then Nehemiah started declaring some things with his mouth. Why don't we just take a moment to just, to read what it says, what Nehemiah said. In verse number five, it says, then, everybody just do this with me. Let's just try this social interaction together. Everybody just say then. Oh, come on. I like that. Then, that's right. Then, verse number five. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Can you hear the faith in this? Like, can you hear it? Like, I can feel it when I read it. Uh, Let's start again. Uh, Verse number five. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer. Your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Oh, somebody got that. I heard it. Verse number 10. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer to the king. This is an incredible passage to me. This is an incredible prayer to me. This is just an incredible piece of scripture that we can get so much from. That for Nehemiah, Nehemiah is living in Persia right now. And that's important because Nehemiah is not from Persia. Nehemiah was actually born into captivity in Persia. That he doesn't know life outside of captivity. He was born into captivity. But apparently, the place where he was born into, the circumstance he was born into, didn't, allow, didn't affect him. Because apparently, he, he, 
He began to grow in influence and leadership to where he becomes the king's cupbearer. Now, that may not seem like a very important job, but it is very important. Because what the cupbearer did, this is the man who holds the cup that the king is going to drink from. I know you're like, it still doesn't sound very important. Well, it is. (laughs) Because if anybody wanted to poison the king... They were going to poison his drink. (laughs) And what the cupbearer did is he drank the drink before the king. Meaning he gave his life for the king every single day. Every day. Think about this. You, You have somebody in your life who is making sure nothing is going to harm you. This is an important role. That he rose in ranks. He didn't allow the captivity he was born into to be the reason why he couldn't do something. But he rose. He rose in ranks. He became the cupbearer, probably one of the closest persons and people to the king. And Nehemiah, in this moment, his brother comes to him and is like, hey, you know the city where you're from? You know the city that you were taken captive from, that your parents were taken captive from, the walls are broken. It has no protection. And it's interesting to me that Nehemiah, he has never seen the city of Jerusalem. He was born into captivity. He's never actually seen Jerusalem, but apparently when he heard about Jerusalem, something in his heart began to burn. Like when he heard about the city of God, something on the inside of him began to say, I can't just let this keep happening. And if you keep reading the story, you'll see that Nehemiah, he goes to Jerusalem. He gathers together some people. They rebuild the walls, bringing glory back to the city of God. It's incredible. But I think about this, and I think about how the moment Nehemiah heard that the city in Jerusalem, the walls were broken down, something in his heart jumped. Something in his heart wouldn't allow him to just keep walking by the walls as if nothing was wrong. Something, something just wouldn't allow him to act like everything was okay when it wasn't. When he heard about Jerusalem, something in his heart wouldn't let him keep walking past those walls. And it makes me wonder, this would be my question for you. What's your Jerusalem? Like, what's the thing in your heart that every time you walk past it, something, something just burns? Like, what's your Jerusalem? Like, what's the thing that you, every time you walk past it, every time you hear about it, every time you think about it, you're like, I got to do something. I may not know what to do, but I just feel like I'm supposed to do something. Like, what's your Jerusalem? What's the thing that's in your heart that when you hear about it, your heart begins to burn? And I think it's interesting because if you were to look at that question, If you were to say, what is your Jerusalem? If you were to take that question, that theme, all through the Bible, you would see there's so many people who had to answer that question. 
in the book of Luke chapter 5. Let's just turn there together. Pastor Joel talked about this last week. And I want to look at it from this context of what's your Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 5, we see a moment where some men, they came face to face with their Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 5 and verse number 17, it says, One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. But when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went on top of the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. This is so interesting to me. These four men, they see this paralyzed man and something in their heart won't allow them to keep walking past this paralyzed man. I find it interesting. How many other people walk past the paralyzed man? Like how many people, while they were headed to go see Jesus, were walking past this paralyzed man? Like how many? But apparently for these four men, when they saw the paralyzed man, what's interesting is they don't actually tell us that these men were friends. They don't actually give us a background on who these men were. We just know that when they saw this man, something in their heart wouldn't allow them to go see the healer without bringing him with them. These four men, I see two things initially that they did. Number one, they agreed. Like they came into agreement based on the conviction in their hearts. Like they see this man and one guy has a conviction. Another guy has a conviction. Another guy has a conviction. Finally, the fourth guy has a conviction. They come together and agree to say, you know what? We all have the same conviction about this paralyzed man. So we are going to get him to Jesus. They had to first agree. They agreed based on the convictions that were in their own heart. Why didn't all those other people that walked past the paralyzed man do anything? I would say it's a a difference of conviction. What's your conviction? Like, why do you care so much about that thing? Like, why are you so concerned with that thing? Oftentimes, I think we can get frustrated because we have a conviction, but other people don't have the same conviction. Like, I have a conviction for youth, so when I talk about youth, I'm going to talk like it had, like everything depends on it. Why? I've got a conviction. But when you hear me talk about youth, you're probably like, oh, here he go again, talking about the youth ministry. Right? Why? Difference of convictions. What's your conviction? These men, they came together. They agreed based on their convictions. Nobody had to put them up to this. They agreed based on their own convictions. The second thing that I see that they did is they worked. (laughs) Like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how heavy this man was. I don't know exactly how they got him to Jesus. We know that he had a mat. So they had to get the mat and the man together to Jesus. They had to do some work. (laughs) I don't know how they did it, but apparently they picked this man up and brought him to Jesus. That they worked. They worked together. 
They worked in community and they saw a man that was held in captivity, set free. See, when I, when I think about this, I think about what is my Jerusalem? What is your Jerusalem? What if, what if we looked at life groups the same way? Like, life groups are for Jerusalem, right? Like, like it's for you gathering a group of people, a community of people who have the same conviction, who agree together, you are going to do something, do some work until you see a change realized in this earth. What if life groups were the avenue through which God wanted to use you and the community that you are with to bring change into the life of a paralyzed man, to bring change into the life of a city? to bring change into the life of a family. Like, that's what life groups are all about. That's what they're for. They're for you. When you have a conviction in your heart to come together with other people who have the same conviction that say we Agree. We all feel the same way about this situation. And you know what? Together, we are going to work until we see the situation change. That's what life groups are all for. But it would start with you answering this question. What is your Jerusalem? Like, what is it? And maybe even, have you just been walking past it? Like, think about the people in the city for Nehemiah, right? In Jerusalem, he went to the city. These people kept walking past a broken wall. They lived in the city with broken walls. They lived there. They walked past the broken walls every single day. I imagine at first it was an issue. But apparently, it stopped being an issue for them. They just got blinded to it. But Nehemiah stepped in. It said, no, 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 no. Hey, guys, listen, we can't keep doing this. We need to rebuild these walls. What about you? What is your Jerusalem? Maybe your Jerusalem is married couples. Maybe you're like, I, I don't know why, but I have this passion to really help married couples. So I'm going to get some other couples together that are strong, and we're going to pull in some other couples that look like they could use some help right now. Maybe your Jerusalem Maybe it's underprivileged youth. Maybe every time you drive past that same school, something in your heart just sparks. Can I help you? There's somebody else whose heart is sparking too. Because we need each other to fulfill the plan and the purpose that God has for us. In Genesis, what did God say? It is not good for man to be alone. We always use that just on like marriage and things like that, but it's in general. These were humans. It's not good for us to be alone. And God, when he created us, he gave us this need for community. Like we need community. And I love how God will also give us a Jerusalem. To say, you don't just need people just to hang around people. Like, I need you to get these people together so you can go out and do something. So you can go out and make a change and make 
a difference. What is your Jerusalem? If you keep reading in the book of Nehemiah, if you just kind of finish the book, I think you'll come across Nehemiah chapter 8. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, there's a verse of scripture that you have heard many times. As I say it, I bet you can complete it, actually. Like, I bet I don't even need to finish the verse and you will know what the verse is. You ready? Let's try another social experiment. You ready? Here we go. The joy of the Lord is your... Oh, come on. See, y'all some Christians in here for real. I am proud. The joy of the Lord is your strength, right? You have heard that. I have heard that. And I love this scripture because it talks about, you can look at it from this perspective of like, God has joy. And if I can let his joy get on the inside of me, I will be stronger. Like if I can, like this fruit of the spirit, this joy that God has, if I can just get this joy on the inside of me, then I will have strength. And I believe that. Like I believe that with all of my heart, but I also can look at this same scripture through a different lens, through a different filter, from a different perspective. Like what if we read it? What if we read it this way? The joy of the Lord. There are things that I can do that can bring joy to the Lord. There, there are things in my life that I can do that bring joy to the Lord. And when I do the things that bring joy to the Lord, I am made stronger. Like you will find that it is true. You are the most strong when you are doing what God has called you to do. I'm not saying emotionally you may not have some issues still. I'm not saying that you may not go through some problems or through some tests or some circumstances. I'm just saying you're going to be the strongest when you are doing the things that bring joy to the Lord. Nehemiah, how long did it take them to rebuild these walls? I imagine they really did have some days where they were like, guys, listen, I'm not doing this anymore. This is way too much work. But they knew what they were doing was bringing joy to the Lord, and that joy gave them strength. What's your Jerusalem? Because if you can get a community of people to go out to Jerusalem, you'll find that on that road that there is joy there is strength there is life and there will be freedom for somebody else what's your Jerusalem what's the thing that's in your heart that you've been walking past what is it because if you can get together with some people, agree based on the same convictions you all have in your heart and begin to work to see the walls rebuilt in Jerusalem, you will see God, the hand of the Lord will be on you and with you. It's exactly what we see in the life of Nehemiah. And maybe you're like, you know what? This is great and all, but I'm not starting a life group. <laughs> then join one. Uh, once you leave today, you're going to see life group tables all out in the foyer. Maybe Jerusalem is right there. Maybe you can just join a community of people that are working to see change in this world. 
maybe if you, you're like, no, 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 I can't keep walking past the paralyzed man. I can't keep walking past the broken down walls. I've got to do something. Then start a life group and get the people around you with the same convictions to start working towards seeing the walls in Jerusalem rebuilt. I, I think it's a, a very interesting thing to realize when God created all of us, there was a Jerusalem he was going to send us to. Every single one of us. But the reality is, the only way you get to Jerusalem is through Jesus. Like, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, you're never getting to Jerusalem. And maybe for you today, you're like, I want to go to Jerusalem. Like, I've been walking past this thing, this situation, these people over and over and over again. But today, I stop. Like, today, I'm going to get together. I'm going to agree with a group of people based on the convictions in our hearts. And we are going to work until we see the walls in Jerusalem rebuilt. And today's the day you can make that decision. What I want to do, I just want to pray. So would you just join me? Would you just bow your head, close your eyes? If you're with us watching online, I'm gonna throw it over to Zach and Rafet. They're gonna take a moment to be with you all there. If you're here at our Lakeland campus, what's your Jerusalem? What's the thing you've been walking past? And what if you got a community of people to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls? Remember, you can only get to Jerusalem through Jesus. And maybe for you today, you say, I need Jesus. Like, I need him. I need to give my life to him. Or maybe today you just say, you know what? I've been walking past these broken down walls for far too long. Today I make a decision that I will no longer walk past Jerusalem. I will no longer walk past the paralyzed man. No, no, no. I will be the change that I want to see. So with heads bowed and eyes closed today, if you say, I need Jesus, I want to give my life to him. Or maybe today you say, you know what? I've been walking past Jerusalem for far too long. Today I make a decision to say, I will no longer walk past the walls that are broken down in Jerusalem. Rather, I will step into community and begin to see those walls rebuilt. On the count of three, if that's you, Wherever you are, just raise your hand. One, two, three. Say, yep, that's me. Beautiful, beautiful. Say, yep, that's me. This is for me today. I need Jesus or I'm not going to keep walking past Jerusalem. Beautiful, beautiful. You can put those hands down. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And I invite you to pray with me. You can just repeat this prayer after me, but I don't want you to just repeat it. Like I want you to pray it. I want you to know that you are not speaking to me, but you are speaking to the creator of heaven and earth. You are speaking to God. And that as you pray, he is listening. 
And so whether you raised your hand, wanted to raise your hand, but didn't, or maybe you just didn't even need to, would you all just join together as a community? Could we just pray this prayer together? You can just repeat it after me. Just pray it with all your heart. Say, dear heavenly father, thank you for loving me. Father, I know that I'm not perfect. I know that I've made mistakes and I know that I've sinned. But Father, today I make the decision to give my life to Jesus. Jesus, I believe that you died for me, for my sin. And I believe on the third day, you rose again from the grave. Jesus, you are my Lord and you are my savior. My past, it's gone. All things are made new right now. And Jesus, I ask you to give me strength to go to Jerusalem, to rebuild the walls, and to do all that you have put in my heart to do. In Jesus' name, amen.